Welcome to Meet an African Pastor podcast. My name is Anthony Seitzma, and in this podcast, I interview different African pastors so that people around the world can hear about what their lives are like and pray for them. And most importantly, this gives all of us an opportunity to learn from the African church. Thank you for listening. Welcome to all of our listeners to the podcast. Once again, we're grateful that you're listening in. We're privileged to have Pastor Conrad Mbewe uh, again on the podcast. He was on before and shared a bit of his testimony and about his ministry. But this time, Conrad is going to share on a particular topic that he's passionate about, that I'm passionate about, and that is expository preaching. And we'll dig deep into that topic. Uh, but first, Conrad, you're welcome. Can you tell us just a little bit about yourself before we go into our topic? Yes, well, thank you, Anthony, for having me on this uh podcast, as you've rightly pointed out. My name is Conrad Bewe. I am pastor for Kawata Baptist Church in Lusaka, Zambia. And uh, I also am currently the dean of the School of Divinity at the African Christian University, sort of moving from one role to the other. I was founding chancellor, then Director of Advancement, now Dean of the School. I'm married. Uh, my wife is Felicitas, and we have six children who are adults now, five of whom are married, and we have seven grandchildren. That's just about what I would say about my life in a nutshell. All right. Great. Thank you so much. And I'm excited about this topic. Uh, preaching is a big interest of mine. And I've loved listening to your preaching, and I think this is a really helpful topic for those pastors, especially who will be listening in, as we talk about expository preaching, really digging into God's Word. Um, to get us started into the topic, maybe you can just give us your your own definition of what expository preaching is. When, when we say expository preaching, what are we talking about yeah, well, basically what we're talking about there is uh, the kind of preaching where the preacher goes to the Bible, um, opens up, um, explains a passage of Scripture, and then applies it faithfully to his listeners. That's what an expository preaching basically, uh, rather expository sermon basically would be. Um, there is consecutive exposition that makes the person go from passage to passage, but exposition itself is going to a passage, showing its meaning then, at the time it was written, and then applying it now to your present listeners. Uh, great. Now, as you look around the African continent, what do you see in terms of the styles of preaching? Um, is expository preaching one of the common methods or um, are other methods more common? What are, what are some of the other most common types of preaching that you hear as you travel around? Yeah, when I travel around Africa, I do find that expository preaching is extremely rare. Most people preach Topically, uh, what they tend to do is go to a passage of scripture that they think approximates what it is they want to talk about, and then start from there. Uh, they read that passage and then they just start talking. Unfortunately, some of them, or most of them, don't even really have organized thoughts. You can tell that it's what occurs to their mind. That's exactly what they go on to speak about. And so in the end, it's quite haphazard, even as a topic. But certainly, expository preaching is extremely rare. Do you think it's possible to preach a topical sermon in an expository way? Or are the two... Uh you know, in contrast to one another? Um, I do sometimes preach topical sermons, but the way I prefer to do my topical sermon 
is as I'm studying that topic, I'm looking for the text that best brings out the various features of that topic. And then I go to that text and deliberately expound it as a textual framework. But bearing in mind that there are a few more details of the topic that are not in that text, I deliberately go a little further. I extrapolate uh, so that the, the gist of what I'm talking about is in the text, but I'm not leaving out those extras, which I really wanted to cover. So I, I myself do quite a bit of topical preaching. It's just that it's not the usual. Uh, the more common kind of preaching that I engage in is that of uh, um, expository preaching. So it is possible to answer your question. But so then the, the main difference then you're bringing out is that people typically start with their own idea and then look for a passage to try to support their own idea where expository, you're really beginning with the text and getting the meaning from the text and, and the, the points from the text. And is that a fair summary? Yeah. Yeah. In terms of contrasting what is common today to expository preaching, that would be a fair summary. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, let's look at a little bit at your preaching as you preach and as you train pastors to preach in an expository way. Uh, how do Christians and in, in the actual churches respond to that? Um, you know, like in my context, people love the preachers on television, especially, unfortunately, prosperity preachers. And so I was wondering, how do people yeah. respond to not just your sermons, but the the sermons of people you've trained to preach um, textual expository messages? How do people respond to them? Do they like them? Are they, do they find them difficult or do they find them boring? Do they find them convicting? You know, how, what's the response like? Yeah, what I would say is that the, the response is, is varied. Partly because of the people themselves who are being, uh, who are the preachers. And then also partly because of the, uh, the listeners. Uh, so let me begin with the preachers and the the, va the variation between one and the other really has to do with um, how good a preacher somebody is in making the text become alive. Uh, a number of preachers sound like a running commentary uh, and therefore when they are preaching, it's like you are, you you sand in your mouth. Uh, you you your 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 taste buds are not dancing, and that's not helpful to listeners. So that tends to um, give the the different responses that expository sermons are getting from the people. The other, which belongs to the listeners is that it largely depends on their background, on how used they are to expository preaching. Because a lot of individuals, they, the moment the pastor reads a text of the Bible, they even close their own Bibles. It's like, okay, so that's the Bible done. Now let's listen to the man of God. So when such people are now being asked to keep going back and back and back to the text, it's completely foreign to them. And in that sense, they feel like a fish out of water. So they also would be largely individuals who get put off because they, they are waiting for the next wise crack from the preacher. And instead, they are being taken back to the Bible again and again. So it is varied, and uh, I would say that largely we have um, preachers that need to learn 
to to preach in a way that has uh, beauty that ha- that causes people to be attracted to listen, and then also uh, we we as preachers then have to be patient, especially when we are handling congregations that have been brought up on topical preaching. We have to learn to be patient with them so that they grow in their appreciation of expository preaching. Yeah, I think that's I think that's true. One of the things that I often mention um, as I teach pastors is that concept you you just mentioned of going back to the Bible, going back to the Bible, that if they're going to be preaching well, there should be many times where they're um, telling the congregation, look at this verse, look at this verse, what does it say here? Just that idea of going back and back and back to the text. Um, but on the other hand, we don't want to fall into what you what you just mentioned about the running commentary. I once visited a church where I, I really felt like the pastor knew a lot about the text, but it was like he it was almost like he was reading from a commentary book on that text. Mm-hmm. And by the end of it, I I went home. I don't want to be too strong, not with nothing, but like there weren't clear points. There wasn't clear application. It was just kind of like, let me, let me explain every verse. And then he left it at that. Um, So I like what you said about making the text come alive, make it beautiful. When, when you, when you preach, are you, I, I know you explain the various verses, but do you also have a number of points that you make um, and also application points so that people write down like, okay, there were four points today or whatever. Do you have some kind of structure like that or it depends on the text? Yeah, yeah. Well, what I have done um, in the recent past is to teach expository preaching. And one author has made it very, well, I say very easy, he's made it technically doable. And he, what he says is that under each point, so as you are breaking down the text, each segment of that text that you want to, to bring before the people, first of all, you, you need to be able to state what that point is. So that way, they know what you're about to start explaining. So you don't explain first and then state the point because you've loved them in the details. So you state your text and then you're going to explain. But then number two, he says you uh, you anchor your point in the passage. So you then go on to say, well, what I've just said, let's look in this text. This here it is. So you read that text, and anybody sitting there goes, aha, they can see where it's coming from. But you don't just do that, you you also go on to um assuming there the, is some little explanation you need to make to connect your thought to the text. You deliberately do that. Uh, for instance, you might be speaking in terms of the law of God, or the text might be saying the law of God, but you have been saying the word of God. So you might want to say that what it is referring to here as the law of God is not just the Ten Commandments. It is uh, another way of referring to God's word. So you, you try to uh, bring those together. But having done that, and here's the point now, it is to now explain the truth that is in that text so that the people can now understand further what that passage is actually saying. And in explaining, you may need or you may want to do some cross-referencing in the Bible you may want to give an illustration, a story, an example, and so on. You're trying to explain. And then only after that, do you now say, okay, so what? 
And that's where the application comes in. So what? If you've understood what this is saying, how are you supposed to respond to what it is saying? And that's where the application comes in. Yeah, that's excellent. Thank you very much. Uh, let's let's move on to thinking about the pastors themselves. We talked about how do the Christians respond, but as you teach pastors how to preach, what are their reactions? I, I'm guessing most of the people you teach have preached before, and maybe this is a new kind of way for them to preach. Do they like it? Do they find it easy or hard? What What is their reaction? I think as a general principle, all of them, what is most of them, tend to really appreciate. And they, they initially begin with a confession. They'll say, you know what, this is what we were taught at Bible school, but we abandoned it for topical preaching because it looks like that's what the people wanted. So they begin with an honest confession. Then after that, then you see them saying, but this is the way we really ought to preach, and we are glad that we are here so that we can be helped to get back to what we were taught in the earlier years. So that, that's what tends to be the situation. As to whether they continue topically or they go on to expose preaching as a regular means of ministry in their churches, would be difficult for me to know for most of them because I don't follow them into their churches and they're not the type that will record the sermons and make them available for people like me to listen on the internet. So I would definitely hope that their testimony is true and um, the testimonies often have to do with the, a growing appreciation from the congregation and even from their own spouses, that they would say to them, I'm really glad that you began to preach this way because we are learning more and more from the Bible this way. So in that sense, it's a positive um, reaction and response. In Uganda here, I've had similar testimonies where pastors will say, you know, before we were just gambling with God's word, but now we understand how to uh, to preach it. Well, one of the things that's been a bit discouraging for me is to have people, pastors, testify that they want to change and, and do expository sermons, uh, but then they go back to their old methods. And I'm still trying to learn why, mm -hmm. why that might be, if it's... Um, challenges in the church or challenges in the culture and that's what i wanted to ask you about as well um do you do, what what are some of the challenges in the in the cultures and you know african cultures there's a, there's a big diversity but in general um and then maybe even church cultures that might be pushing back against expository preaching uh what have you seen yeah i think one of the ways is um one of the challenges rather is uh, the lack of tools, the lack of tools, because if you're going to be engaged in expository preaching, you will have to, uh, um, to, to make sure that you, you are doing a faithful job in exegesis. And not all passages yield to your exegetical spread work easily. Some of them, tend to be quite naughty, uh, K-N-O-T-T-Y. And so you do want to have some tools to help you to untie uh, those naughty passages. But a lot of our people just don't have those tools. So I think that is one of the major challenges. The other is in terms of time. A lot of our pastors in Africa tend to have another job in order to survive. They are tent makers, to borrow a, a worn-out term by now, tent-making pastors. They, they ply, ply out a trade on one hand, and then on the other, they've got their pastoral ministry. 
that robs them of time. So by the time they are getting to Sunday, they really have lacked the time to do thorough preparation. And because they've lacked time to do thorough preparation, inevitably uh, they, they give half-baked um, sermons, so to speak. So they then prefer to go into topical because in topical, it's already what, what you know. You already know something that you are giving the people. You're just looking for somewhere in the Bible to begin your talk. And so that also explains why uh, a number of people uh, end up going the expository route. Um, so, yeah, the lack of commentaries, the, the lack of um, um, time, and, and so forth. So the, the, obviously a number of other reasons, but those will be some of the major challenges. Some of them is just lack of training. Uh, they, they haven't had regular training in exposition. And even when they went to Bible college, it was so that they could pass exams. It wasn't really that they should master expository preaching. And so in the end, they go from Bible college and they are still unable to preach in an expository fashion, although that's what they were being taught. So those would be some of the reasons that our own people uh, decide, no, I think this is not for me. Uh, it makes me wonder, um, with their lack of time and even some of them, their lack of education, can they do it? Um, is it is it reasonable to expect them to do it? Or um, is there something we need to change in the church structures and systems? Uh, for example, I was just thinking while you're sharing that maybe a pastor writes a really good sermon that he's really dug into the text he had time for. And then with, you know, five or six other churches that are connected in the same denomination, he rotates around and preaches in those churches the same sermon. Mm -hmm. And then other people are also rotating around. I'm just wondering what to do about the that time factor, because here where, where I am in Uganda, sometimes people are preparing their sermon Saturday evening or even Sunday morning um, because of the time factor. So just what, what is the solution to to those problems? Yeah, well, as I said, here in Africa, I mean, one of the things is definitely equipping the pastors with better tools, uh, better Bible commentaries, um, and more Bible commentaries so that they are better equipped to expound the scriptures. Uh, the other is to pay them well. Um, so that they can um, have their hands free and therefore spend a little bit more time in sermon preparations. Uh, so those would be some of the solutions. And uh, it also belonging to pastors fraternals, where you're not discussing politics and how to join one political party so that you can beat the other, but you are more purposeful about encouraging, you know, pastors in preaching, or let's say encouraging one another in preaching. So belonging to such uh, fraternals would be a great, a, a very great help. Um, I don't know if this is a, a real challenge or not. I'm just curious to know if you've heard. Do do you ever have pastors or, or Christians? see expository preaching as a Western kind of approach to scripture coming from North America or Europe and, and seeing it as not an African approach? I'm not sure. Maybe in, in Uganda, but in Zambia, it's really um, not the missionaries that have taught expository preaching. They might have, but it's it's been more a grassroots movement. So it's, it's uh, Zambians themselves that are challenging fellow Zambians to preach in an expository fashion. So perhaps there, there's a bit of a difference. Yeah, I don't know that it's common in Uganda either. It was just something I was wondering about. Um, I, I believe I have heard that criticism before, but I don't know that it's real common. Um, that there could be, I think it's, 
some of the other challenges that you spoke of or the more common reasons that people are um, having trouble with it. Let's look at yeah, uh, yeah, I the, think so too. let's look at the issue of stories. Um, a lot of different African cultures love stories, myths, proverbs, and in trainings or in sermons, people love to throw in lots of stories, and people learn through those stories. Uh, how how would you say that stories fit into expository sermons? How do how are they integrated in? Well, I would say that. You know, as long as stories are illustrating, they are examples to enlighten the same one. I think there's a place for stories uh, because a lot of people just come alive when you say something like, uh, for instance, there was a man in Kampala. They just come alive. They, you know, they 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 want yeah. to connect and see what this is all about. Um, people that don't have stories as illustrations remind me of a, uh, a prison that has no doors. Well, there's a door, but uh, there are no windows. And the door is without any bars. So the whole room is um, um, has no way for you to see the outside. Um, the, the only light you're getting is from the bulb uh, on top of your head. Some sermons can be like that, where they lack visuals, they lack, um, uh, what's the word? They, they lack examples, uh, and, and therefore it, it's, it's very hard to follow. You feel as if you're in a very difficult lecture, maybe a nuclear science kind of lecture, when really it ought to be a message that even little children should be able to, to understand. So the role of stories is, is that of providing illustration. As long as that's where we are leaving them, we, we are right. We are doing the right thing. Jesus, the master preacher, used a lot of stories in his sermon, a lot of stories. And the disciples remember those illustrations, and that's why they're written for us in the Bible. Yeah, I agree. Let's look at uh, preaching and series versus uh, individual sermons on different chapters. How important do you think it is to preach in a series through a biblical book where you're working through it as a pastor yourself or with a team of other pastors um, working through a, a book rather than a different chapter each week or are both, both equally good? Yeah, what I would say is that um, preaching through a book or a larger book is helpful primarily because it enables your congregation to see where you are coming from. They are able to discern that these matters are already happening in this person's life, and now there is the future that is being counseled about in terms of how he is to handle it. So I would say that as a general rule, I would encourage people to do expository preaching, consecutive expository preaching, because as I said, it, it shows people that the Bible is coherent where it's coming from and where it's going, it's coherent, and that we must jealously guard that aspect of preaching. Do you have any advice for the pastors who would like to do that, but they are in church structures where they only have an opportunity to preach once a month because of all the guest preachers that come and different people and pastors and church members who are also preaching? Um, and so they're only preaching once a month. How might they do that? Could they still preach in mm. a series somehow? Mm. Yeah, what, what I would say is uh, where it is possible, you could share those passages with the visiting preachers. Um, for instance, right now, well, it's not even now, it's been a number of years, at our African Christian University, what we do is we have chapel 
uh, on Wednesday. In fact, we had chapel today. And uh, what we do is there's somebody, the university chaplain, who subdivides the entire section uh, into uh, sermon bites. And then it is distributed to us all. So each one of us is able to say, okay, this is the part, part of the text I'm handling. And then we expound that text and we apply it. So I honestly think that even churches that are receiving preachers could easily come up with something like that and share and say, okay, here you are. Um, if you're going to preach, please preach on any of these options. Um, if not, fine, we won't hold against you, but we just want the congregation to be getting a, a sense of a united whole as they're coming to listen to the preaching. Do you have any advice for pastors who, or pastors or other Christians in the church who want the preaching to be expository, but some of their leaders are not preaching that way? How can they go about encouraging them, helping them to think about different approaches? Um, do you have any good advice to share there? Because I, I hear that a lot. People say, yeah, we, we want the different kind of preaching, but how do we get get our leaders to change? Um, yeah, so do you have any advice? Somebody? Yeah, and unfortunately, yeah, unfortunately, I don't have a better answer to them. Because churches are meant to be led and meant to be led by elders. And among the elders is one who is a pastor. So there's not much you can do if he has dug in his heels and only wants uh, to, um, what's the word? If, if, if you, you can only, um, okay, let me retrace a little bit. The pastor should be able to share out those topics so that everybody has a portion uh, that, that they should be able to deal with. And if somebody is not able to handle a portion, it can then be passed on to the next person or the pastor himself can preach and so on. Um, but you can't, as a pure warmer, a congregant, change what's happening in the pulpit. You can't. You, 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 you can sort of maybe offer your service, and if you're allowed to preach, you preach in an expository way, hoping that you're a good example. But you, you, if your elders and your pastor, they, that's not what they want. Sorry, you can't drive the church from the back seat. Uh, something just I'm wondering about um, if you're a Christian in a church and you have some exposure and you know how preaching should be where it's drawing the meaning out of God's word and not trying to put our ideas into God's word and you have a pastor or a pastoral team who refuses to, to do that and they're always preaching their own ideas and topical sermons is that ever a valid reason to leave that church and go to another church, or is that be is that too extreme? Well, you know, I mean, for instance, in Lusaka, we have at least easily ten churches that preach in an expository fashion. In other words, we are spoiled for choice. I don't think that's the same everywhere. So some people. They don't have much of a choice but to say, okay, the pulpit ministry is the weakest part of this church's life. But there is pastoral care that I am receiving. There is a good youth group where my children can also receive challenges together with their friends. There is a good uh, Sunday school class where the younger children are also my teaching to my children is being augmented there. 
and so on. There may be a number of other reasons to make a person stay despite the fact that uh, the preaching is, is really not uh, what one would want to encourage. But where, um, yeah, but where you have a choice, by all means, be in the best possible place you can be for your soul and for the souls of your family. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. Um, this is a little bit different question that's not exactly about expository preaching, but um, it could relate. Uh, in your opinion, or maybe in your It'd be interesting to hear your church's uh, position on this. Who should be given the opportunity to preach? Is it, should it just be the pastor or other church members as well? And what about uh, guest preachers yeah. where we don't really know how the guest preacher is going to preach? And the reason I said it could be related is because there could be pastors who are theologically trained, biblically trained to preach expository sermons. And then other people may not be. Should they still be given opportunities to preach? Yeah, what I would say again is that, first of all, as a general rule, a church should have at least one person who's dedicated to preaching and teaching and is paid for by the church. As a general rule, that's uh, 5th, uh, 5 and verse 7, the elders who rule well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching, So, or who labor in preaching and teaching. So there should be among the elders at least one, minimum one person who is, uh, whose role is to labor in the word and doctrine. So that's number one. And uh, But that doesn't mean he should be the only one doing so because there will be times when the person needs to rest. There will be times when the person needs to go and minister to other churches as well and so on. So, you know, people need to be a little more um, realistic that life will not be like that where every Sunday uh, that person will call the pastor is available. Uh, but even beyond that, there will be younger people who are aspiring to the ministry. And you want to give them the opportunity, depending on th their level of giftedness and maturity, to, to handle the pulpit. And so again, you will have others uh, coming in. And then, no doubt about it, you will also have special meetings where you do want uh pastors and preachers from other churches to just come and handle the pulpit and teach your congregation. So I would say that the majority of the preaching and teaching should be by uh, one of the elders who is specifically designated to handle the preaching because he senses a call from God to the preaching and teaching ministry. And then he that's his responsibility, but he then makes um, the pulpit open to a number of other individuals from time to time throughout the year. Um, I wonder whether that answers the question. Yeah, yeah, it does. Yes, we were talking about guest preachers to churches, and I wanted to ask you one of the most common questions that I get asked when I am talking to pastors uh, about preaching. That is, what What do you do when you have a guest preacher who maybe hasn't uh, in, understood the text well, and they end up teaching something maybe that's false teaching, or at least something that's contrary to the doctrine of the church that he's preaching in? Um, how should that be handled? Should it be that you come up after the sermon and and say something to try to correct it, or um, do you wait until the next week and then correct it? Uh, this is something that a lot of the pastors here are wondering about what to do, and it makes them wonder whether they need to examine people's sermons before they preach them. 
So it's a, t- a tough question, but just wondering if you have any wisdom to share with our listeners. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the the advice that I would give is um, first of all, you know, depending on what your role is in the life of the church. I mean, obviously, if you're the pastor, you have a bigger responsibility to make sure that you safeguard the the pulpit. If you are one of the elders, yes, you also have a responsibility uh, to speak to your church pastor, assuming that you have a pastor at that time, about what is happening in the pulpit that it might be addressed. Uh, if you're an ordinary church member, you are a little further away from what I would call the decision-making uh, category of uh, the the church, and therefore you you have to be a lot more winsome and a lot more patient because of the fact that um, you know you are further away from where decisions are made. And if you are pushing uh, too much, you might end up with a reaction that could easily result in you um, being kicked out of your church in the long haul. So you have to be a lot more winsome, you have to be a lot more gentle, you have to be a lot more patient. You also have to use your own example uh, when you are allowed to preach so that people can see that this is a better way of feeding the flock through uh, regular expository uh, preaching, that they can see how the word comes alive and impacts people's lives and so on. So there's need for um, us to see that there isn't uh, a one-size-fits-all kind of advice that can be given. But also, on the other side, it depends on um, the, for instance, if if the preacher is topical, but is very good, in other words, it still somehow allows the truth to come out of the scriptures, uh, you can live with that a lot longer than a person who's topical and they just use the Bible like a capital letter of a sentence. And after that, they go on to say whatever it is they want to say. And sometimes their doctrine and theology is so bad that what it is they want to say, in fact, contradicts the Bible. Um, That's another extreme. And often that's extreme that demands that you press the panic button because God's people are being fed with poison rather than with uh, solid food. So all that to say, therefore, is that there is a variety in terms of in terms of giftedness in the pulpit, and there's variety in terms of uh, who you are as you are addressing matters that are happening in the pulpit. There is also variety in terms of the level of uh, uh, lack of health in the teaching itself, the the doctrine, um, that would determine how you are to approach. So I would encourage anybody who is wrestling with this kind of situation to consult a pastor who is perhaps a good role model and say, this is the situation I'm going through right now. What would you advise? Because then you'll be asked the right questions. And in being asked the right questions, because they are in real time, you'll be able to give the actual situation you are in and you'll get appropriate advice. So that's what I would say ultimately, that look for someone who is a good role model and ask for advice in real time. This this is kind of related to the, that question, but do you think there's ever a time where you need to stand up in the middle of a sermon to stop um, something 
you know, someone's preaching false teaching, is it ever appropriate to stand up in that moment and stop what's happening or do you let them finish and then try to correct it later? Yeah. Again, uh, first of all, it depends on who you are, because if, if you are an ordinary church member, it's important that you take it up with your leadership. But again, if you've taken it up with your leadership once or twice, and this has become, um, they've got a laissez-faire attitude, you may say to yourself, well, look, this poison is becoming too much. Uh, let me, as it will, throw the, the cut among the pigeons. Let me draw the attention of everybody by standing up and saying, no, this, this is wrong, and so forth. But that should never be the beginning. It should not be your first reaction. It should not be your knee-jerk reaction. Um, I think the first is to recognize, yes, there's error here. Let me spend time with the church's leadership. Um, but let's assume you are among the church's leadership. It is to say, let's have a meeting over this so that you not only discuss it privately, but that you come and correct the matter um, in a subsequent either church service or Bible study or some seminar or whatever it is, but you are the people in charge. So you recognize that this is something that uh, needs some, some attention. So yes, if the worst ever comes to the West, when you've knocked on every door and, um, you know, it's clear you now need to, as it will bring the entire structure down on top of people's heads, um, that, yeah, you may want now to, to draw the attention of everybody to the fact that this is now heresy and we must not allow it. Otherwise, I want to repeat, uh, it would not be the first thing I advise somebody to do. Uh, I think you you can easily, if your leaders don't want to to listen, uh, you you can ask a neighboring church that is genuinely conservative, uh, genuinely evangelical together with you. You can ask the leaders there to say, "Look, I've been trying to talk to my leaders; they're not listening." Uh, you know, could is there a way in which you could? Uh, meet with me and them so that you you help us and so on uh, so that's uh, you know somewhere before you you finally say okay even them they don't want i think it's about time i became a martin luther and i pin the 95 thesis on the door of the church and set the entire continent on fire i think that must be the last step yeah. Now you mentioned uh, getting feedback and advice and coaching from a respected pastor. Um, but my last question, I think, is, is there a place for getting feedback from the ordinary Christian listeners in the congregation? And if so, what is the best way to go about getting feedback and uh, um criticism and helpful building up comments from them. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I think first of all, it's it's a healthy thing to do. And uh, it must enter into the, what I would call DNA of the congregation. Uh, by that I mean, it must enter into the um the lifestyle of the church so that members don't think that once they express themselves on the preaching and teaching ministry of the church that they'll be thrown out of the church i think it's it's important that you 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 make them at ease with respect to giving feedback now how do you do that well, let me give an example of our own church, Kawata Baptist Church. Uh, we have divided the members among the elders. And uh, as we have divided them among the elders, we end up, there are nine of us as elders, 
There are about 400 church members. So we roughly have 45 members per elder. Some of them are couples. So in terms of homes, it is even less homes. So it ends up perhaps being 30 homes, maybe uh, a little more or a little less. So when an elder, the, the task of the elders is to make sure that they visit each home at least once a year to just find out how individuals are doing and how they are doing in the life of the church. But one of the questions we ask is, how are you finding the preaching and teaching ministry of the church? How are you finding it? And so members are free to say, well, no, when that one preaches, I don't understand a thing. They are free to do so. Or they can say, well, that one is too long in his sermons, is long-winded. Um, or they may simply say, we're really appreciating the series that is being given and so on. And then what we do is uh, those sentiments are shared with all the elders. Uh, that uh, not just the, the ones to do with the preaching, but everything else that a person has spoken about during that visit. That one elder shares with all the elders so that together we know how that church member is doing. And because this has become very much part of church life and nobody has been victimized, what we found is that with time, the members have become quite free to express themselves, to critique the messages that are being preached. Now, sometimes the criticisms are unwarranted. And so the elder visiting can easily answer those questions. Uh, but sometimes they are warranted and the elder then takes note and then shares with the other elders what they have heard. So, yeah, I'd like to encourage a system that makes feedback from the church concerning any area of life, including the preaching ministry. I would like to encourage that uh, that should be embedded into the church's life so that members are free enough to express themselves about the quality of preaching they are listening to. Yeah, I really like that, having feedback and that openness as a regular part of the life of the church. Uh, now, I said that I had my last question, but I do have one more. Uh, I wanted okay. to know uh, what preacher or preachers have had a big impact on you that you've uh, really looked up to and learned from um, for your preaching? Yeah, the first and by far the most impactful was my own pastor in the first five years of my pastorate. His name is Joe Sinfukwe. He has since retired into a kind of counseling ministry, but his preaching by far impacted me. It impacted me spiritually, it impacted me uh, in my preaching gifts because I had a role model in front of me. He was doing consecutive expository preaching and I really fell in love with what I was seeing and hearing. Uh, he, he had a, a, a very committed um, visitation program in terms of visiting us as members. Um, I was an investor student then, and he, he would come to my room, uh, sit on a chair while I'm sitting on the bed and you know, give the counseling and so forth. Um, but it was particularly his preaching ministry that really impacted me. Uh, beyond that, it, it's two international preachers. Uh, both of them have since died. Uh, one is um, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. I really appreciated his, uh, not only his preaching ministry, but the ministry that he developed in the Metropolitan Tabernacle that uh, ended up having soldiers 
getting out there to win souls. But apart from that, it was his preaching ministry that I, I really, really found um, a good role model, a good example, not so much in the constructive exposition, because it needed to be a uh, a one passage preacher and then changing, could be anywhere in the Bible the next weekend. But wherever he was, whatever text he picked up, it was an exposition of the scriptures. And it was delightful to listen to. It was um, a message that uh, drew on um, the whole of creation by way of uh, examples and illustrations and so on. So he's, he would be the second. And close to him would be um, uh, Dr. Martin Lee-Jones, also passed on. Um, for him, it was towards the end of the last century. Um, again, I used to listen to his recorded sermon on tape, and they were, wow, they challenged me um, in more ways than one, including uh, in terms of consecutive expository preaching. So I would say that those would be the, the main individuals that impacted me, apart from the preacher of preachers himself, and that is uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, who no doubt must be the model for any one of us uh, in the way in which he handled God's word in his life on earth. Um, yeah, each one of those messages, they're just supreme, they're, they're sublime, and uh, I'd want to preach like him anytime. Thank you. Amen to that. Well, uh, Conrad, you've uh, answered all my questions. I think we can come to a conclusion. Just give you a chance to share any last encouragements or teachings or tips, good ideas uh, to the people listening. We have North Americans listening. We have Africans listening, maybe other people around the world. But any other tips and encouragements you have, especially for pastors uh, on this area of expository preaching, and preaching in general, we'll, we'll have that be our conclusion. Yeah, well, I think the main thing that I'd like to say is uh, exactly what Paul said to Timothy in um, Second Timothy and uh, chapter 3, going into chapter 4, the famous words that um, um, we already quoted when he was saying all scripture is God-breathed and is profitable. Let me just read that to you. All scripture, that is uh, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And then we read chapter 4 and verse 1. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Um, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. And then he goes on to say, a time is coming when people not put up a sound doctrine. So this is what I would say. These were the concluding words of the Apostle Paul as he was about to go to glory. And basically he was saying to, to Timothy, the word of God should be your primary source of messages. Keep that central. The word of God is sufficient. So you, you really don't need to depend on philosophers and, and um, um, motivational speakers and their approach. Expound this word. It is God-breathed and profitable for preaching, rather for teaching, for reproof, for correction, 
and for training in righteousness. And then the last is um, what is says at the beginning of chapter 4, and it is simply whether in season or out of season, whatever truths you are finding in God's word, please preach them, please preach them, so that God's people can hear the voice of God. And as they hear the voice of God, hopefully they will be made to come to salvation and they will also grow in their knowledge of the Savior. So that, those would be my words. Um, and of course, preach the word has to do with expositing the text, expositing, preach the word. And so let's make sure that we, we do that and we'll have a better Africa, we'll have a better world. Thank you very much. That's an excellent conclusion. Uh, thank you so much for your time, Conrad. It's uh, been a pleasure. I know it will be helpful for the rest of the people also who will listen. So thank you so much for this time. You're welcome. Thanks for having me, Anthony.